After graduating ninth in my class of 300 at Baghdad College of Medicine, I worked as a licensed pathologist for a decade in Iraqi's capital city. My family and I had to flee when death sequaz tried to kill us. When we arrived in the US in 2014, I thought it wouldn't take long for me to qualify to work as a physician. I was wrong. American laws make it difficult for foreign physicians to apply for licenses to practice medicine. The high cost makes it even harder. This country could benefit from treating foreign trained professionals with the respect they deserve. The issue goes far beyond undervaluing healthcare workers. I have lost count of the foreign trained engineers I have met working in Walmart or foreign trained chemists driving taxis. That was Dr. Lubab Al-Qureshi reading from her recent first opinion titled, Foreign Trained Doctors Like Me Were Asked to Help Fight COVID-19. Now we're being tossed aside. I'll bring you our conversation after a word from our sponsor. In the wake of the greatest public health crisis in recent memory, the role of the pharma and biopharma industry in the lives of global populations has taken on growing importance as it helps fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Cytiva's Global Biopharma Resilience Index takes a holistic look at the industry across five key pillars at a time when its health is vital. Dive into the highlights and key findings at cytiva.com resilience. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot backslash resilience. Welcome to the First Opinion Podcast. I'm Pat Scarrett, editor of First Opinion, stats platform for articles written by biotech insiders, healthcare workers, researchers, and others with interesting or illuminating or provocative perspectives to share about the life sciences writ large. Welcome to the podcast, Lubab. Thank you. There are so many places we could start this conversation. If it's okay with you, I'd like to start at the beginning to give listeners some context. Where did you grow up? What was it like growing up there? I grew up in Baghdad, Iraq. It was like a paradise. Although there are a lot of like negative things were going on in Iraq, but it is really a paradise. This is the country where I spent my childhood. This is the culture that I came from. And when I grew up and when I came to US, I realized that Iraq has a lot of positive things. For example, education is for, for free. I'm not talking about the undergraduate, the education, I'm talking even about colleges. Like for me, I finished medical school, I didn't pay a penny, and then I studied pathology as well, and I didn't pay anything. So I realized that education is a priority in my country, since you don't have to pay anything. The other thing I realized that you don't have to pay for your health insurance because 
health services are free for everybody, including from a minor uh, procedure to a complicated procedure. You don't have to pay anything. That's a far cry from what happens here in the United States. Do you remember when you first thought about being a doctor? I was like in high school. I was interested in art at the beginning and interested to be a journalist, but my mother, she got breast cancer when I was in high school and I was in the hospital with her. And I realized that there are more important things. I'm not trying to underestimate the role of journalist, but I realized that I can do more important than being a journalist and I can help women in Iraq to survive a breast cancer. So the inspiration came from my mother. It's amazing how often I hear that from physicians and nurses and other healthcare workers, how a family a medical problem really kind of changed the trajectory of their lives. You said in your reading at the top of the episode that you got your medical training at Baghdad Medical College. At what age does one graduate from medical school? I graduated from medical school at the age of 24. And then I studied uh, to work. You know, the, I'm trying to bring to your attention that the system different in Iraq. You cannot like go right away to pathology immediately after graduation. You have to do some rotation in all the medical fields to get exposed to everything. So you have to understand surgery, you have to understand gynecology, pediatric, um, general medicine, family medicine, and you have to work for a while in the emergency room. And then after two years, then we have to start the pathology. So I worked immediately after graduation as a, we call it as a rotator, you rotate in several fields. And after that, I started my um, postgraduate study as a pathologist and I graduated on 2006. So 2006 to 2014, I was practicing as a pathologist. And what drew you to pathology? Pathology was not my passion at the beginning. I was interested to be a surgeon, especially to help as, you know, I still have the passion to uh, fight against uh, breast cancer and to do an early detection. And I realized that Early detection of breast cancer is not through the surgical procedure, it's through pathology. Because now the pathologists are the first people who can catch the cancer uh, at the beginning, in the early stages. So when I was like in college, I, when I graduated, I was um, in the top 10 out of 300. And I remember the dean of Baghdad Medical College, he was talking to me, he said, why don't you come and join uh, Baghdad Medical College and I'm opening a position for you in pathology. And then I was trying to understand what is pathology, although I took some like classes during medical school, but the field was so impressing, like looking at the tissue under the microscope, it was an amazing thing. And I realized this is the thing that I should do and go for it in order to achieve my goal to do early detection for breast cancer. You know, I've never thought of pathology that way. I've always thought of it as, you know, sort of the, the horse is out of the barn. But that's an interesting way to frame the field as early detection. Yeah. And my first job, it was like 
in a clinic. It's called Early Detection of Breast Cancer. It was the only clinic in Baghdad. And I was working day and night trying to help women to catch breast cancer in early stages. What gave you the most satisfaction about the work you were doing as a pathologist? You know, in Iraq, there is, although it's in a country rich in oil, but poverty level is very, very high. So the most things that gave me satisfaction is to help poor people for free. Health services are already for free, but I was going beyond than this. I was facilitating everything for people. You know, the number of hospitals in Iraq are limited and the number of people are more than the number of hospitals. So trying to accommodate as much as possible people. So I was leaving around like 7, 8 p.m. trying to help people who are came, coming from another cities other than Baghdad. So at some point, you and your family had to leave Iraq. It sounded, it sounds like it was under very dark circumstances. Can you, I know this is painful. Can you briefly describe that? Yes. Um, you know, when U.S. Army invaded Iraq, although the intention was to get rid of the dictator, but after that, there was a big mess. We were living in a huge, huge mess. People were killed for no reason, um, kidnapping, killing. And this happened immediately, like on 2003. And I was able to survive in, in Baghdad until 2014. From 2003 and then until 2009, the situation was very, very bad. 2009... I get um, I got a direct threat. Uh, somebody, unknown person, shoot on my car while I was driving to work. Oh, that's terrible. And the intention was to kill me. And I don't know why, because I was not part of any party in Iraq. I don't believe in politics. And at that time, I realized that it's the time to leave. Because I have a lot of friends, they already left at the beginning, since 2003. So I applied for a refugee at the American Embassy at Baghdad, and I got approved on 2014. During, from 2009 to 2014, I was traveling from one area to another, trying to continue to survive, me with my husband and two kids. Did you know where you're he you were headed when you left Baghdad? I was trying to go to Canada or Australia because I have my brother. He already left on 2009 and he came to U.S. and he gave me an advice. He said, don't come to U.S. because life is not easy. So I was taking this advice. I was trying to apply to Canada, to Australia, but the approval was to U.S. So I have no other choices. It was not optional. Did you have any knowledge or kind of expectations about what it would be like to work as a physician in the U.S. at that time? When you come out as a refugee, you would expect that the government will support you. And the support was only for a few months. After that, mm -hmm. I remember the resettlement agency, they said, we will not support you anymore. You have to find a job. 
So I looked for any job in order to pay my bills. And I end up working as a cashier at Popeye Kitchen, Louisiana. And at that point, I applied. When I came to U.S. on 2014, I immediately applied to the exam. But in order to get to have my paper approved, I end up that my paper approved on 2016. So it took me two years to approve that these documents belong to me because, you know, my name in the passport was different. It's not different. There was only one letter different between my passport and my graduation documents. So it took me two years to approve to, to the USMLE that this is the same person. And they asked me to get an approval from my college. And I was telling them, how can I get an approval from my college? I left with a threat. I have nobody can follow up. And then with the help of friends, neighbors, people, I was able to approve that these documents belong to me. And I am the person who graduated from Baghdad Medical College. So when you work, there will be no enough time to, to study because the exam is not an easy exam. You have to study 24 hours. In addition to that, it's cost effective. Like I cannot afford the exam. Each step is around like 1000. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't pass it, you have to, to pay another thousand. And this is not included the, the, um, the application fee, which is 1200, which is like too much for me with two kids and, my husband and me and with the new life. And we came traumatized from Iraq. So how do you expect me to handle all these new situations? And you're, you're not going to earn that kind of money working at, at Popeye's either. When customers were handing you money and taking their food, what do you think they were seeing when they looked at you? They were just like interested in my hijab. That's it. They were saying, oh, interesting, where are you from? I landed in Texas, and in Texas, there was a lot of racism over there because of my hijab. I was talking to a lady, I remember, she was telling me, you don't have to come to this country. I said, why? This country is built on immigrants. You yourself is an immigrant. If you read the history very well, you are not an original person. You are not the native. And she said, oh, you speak English very well. And I told her because I'm a physician from my country of origin. When I told, told her that I'm a physician, she told, totally changed her attitude. I said, I'm trying to approve to you that you don't have to judge people by their appearances. And with all this trauma, with all this trauma, people are treating us with racism. It's I mean, incom- I'm sorry. No, it's incomprehensible. I'm just trying to say that I was expecting more from this country. I mean, you were able to get rid of a dictator who were ruling Iraq for 35 years, and you are unable to change your regulation. You are unable to to improve the licensing system. I'm I'm really surprised, and I was expecting more, really. I think some of us are expecting more, too, and I, I hope we can move that forward. You wrote that you were fortunate to get a job as a pathologist assistant. It must be difficult sometimes for you not to do the pathologist's work. 
it's not only difficult. If you stay away from your field, you will lose your experience and you have to start over and you will not be up to date on your field. Your colleagues must know of your previous expertise and experience. Do they do they respect the work that you've done before in, in Baghdad? Uh, I can tell like some of them they do. Even they call me doctor and I ask them why you are calling me a doctor. I'm not licensed. They said because you are a pathologist. And Good when for I discuss yeah, I mean when I discuss cases with them, they realize that I do have the expertise. Some of them they don't like it at all. And even they don't like that I'm discussing cases with them since I don't have this paper which is called license. When the pandemic struck and New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy issued an executive order that gave some foreign-trained healthcare workers temporary medical licenses, did you jump right in? Let me tell you something. I jumped in before the executive order. I went to the, <laughs> to the public library, which is our community, representing our community in our neighborhood. I said I'm ready to help in any way. When the uh, Governor Phil Murphy gave the... Uh, executive order for a temporary license, I was so happy because I'm going to be involved more and more and I will be practicing as an official physician. And what kind of work were you doing as an official physician with that temporary license? So I went to the uh, temporary field hospital that is opened in, uh, in New Jersey. And by the way, these hospitals are like, I can say 80% were uh, managed by international physicians. Not only physicians, I mean in general healthcare. So I took the opportunity for one month, I worked in these uh, temporary field hospitals and any assignment they give me, any uh, task, I would go for it, even if it is a simple administrative task. So you mentioned that you were working with many other internationally trained physicians and other healthcare workers in the in the quiet moments when there probably weren't that many quiet moments in in COVID-19 but were you able to chat with them and did you hear any stories that kind of mirrored yours let me tell you something actually when i started to help in the covid i have like a good connection with my colleagues not necessarily from Iraq, from other countries. And I told them that I'm doing this. Why don't you come and join and help? And a lot of people joined me and I was able to lead a team at the beginning of six people. And all of them, some of them, they were just fresh graduate from other countries. Some of them, they have some experience, especially in the infectious diseases, and we were able to, to do a team and to help. And then after, I would love to tell you something. After that, the, my employer, he called me and he said that we want you back because we are starting to, to, uh, to need somebody to work in COVID collection. And my response, I said, Yes, definitely, I will go for it. But I was surprised that the other colleagues who are U.S. licensed, they were, maybe they are like afraid and they have families. But I don't think as a physician, you should be 
you should have a concern. I don't want to say afraid, but you should not have any concern. And by collection, you mean actually doing um, nasal swabs on people to see if they were infected with the virus? Yeah, it was like nasopharyngeal swab, nasal oropharyngeal. And uh, we were driving to from New Jersey to New York. Uh, I remember we wake up at like 4 a.m. in the morning and we drive at 5 a.m. after we gather. And we travel to New York to nursing homes, which is the highly like area of um, COVID records. And I was like shocked when I saw some nursing homes, elderly people. Some of the nursing homes are in a good shape. Some of them are not. I mean, the service is not the best. So I realized that these elderly people, they need really, really, they need help and they need attention. And you did that for a month or two months or so? I did it. I'm doing it till now and I'm not taking any money for it. And even when I worked in the hospital, it was a volunteering. Some of them, they were paid $100 per hour. I was doing it just for volunteering, just to serve the community. Because I was doing this in Iraq. I was volunteering a lot to help the community. So the executive order expired in February, I believe. How did you feel when that happened? I felt that this is unfair. Because if you are able to give us a temporary license, why not changing the regulation? I'm not saying that I'm trying to waive the exam. If you think that the exam is necessary, then go for it, but don't ask me to do an exam for basic science. Ask me to do an exam in pathology. So I think it's unfair to have just a temporary medical license. And with the pandemic, Mm -hmm. the way of thinking should be changed. You wrote that other countries like the United Kingdom have a, a, a different way of approaching foreign trained physicians. Could you describe that? Yeah, that's correct. I was trying to resume my work as a pathologist after I gave up in US. So I contacted the Royal College of Physicians and I was asking them, am I eligible to sit for the pathology exam? They gave me a website and I applied for it. I uploaded uploaded my uh, documents, my diploma, my fellowship, presidency. And they the answer was, yes, you are eligible to sit for the pathology exam. And I think this is, should be like in U.S. Like don't ask a specialized physician to sit for a basic exam. Ask him or ask her to sit for the specialty exam. Here in US, they are unable to recognize our residency program, our fellowship. And when I say they are unable to recognize, because when, you, when I sent my document for credential evaluation, what they, the credential evaluation for my fellowship in residency program is considered as a postgraduate education which is not true. It's Hmm. not an education. It's a practice. I understand that you've written to lawmakers, including President Joe Biden, about this issue. Are you just alerting them to the issue of foreign trained healthcare workers or are you asking them to do something in particular? So I'm asking them to change the regulations 
and to modify um, or do some changes to accommodate us. When I say us, I mean people with speciality like me and who proved themselves during the pandemic that we can do the work based on our knowledge and education that we came from. I'm asking them to change these regulations and help us to resume our work and to get benefit from us. What, what, what's happening now is simply a brain waste. I'm not trying to say that uh, we are uh, the best, but we are good enough to go. And we proved that during the pandemic, and we are still proving that. What's the number one thing you'd want to change? I would like to, first of all, to change the whole lejeuner procedure. Because now when you come from a country from outside from USA, they just call you international medical graduate. This term is wrong. Because when you say international medical graduate, you are mixing between the specialist and the fresh graduates. We are not just a graduate. We are a specialist. We are practicing for a long time. It's time to realize the experience that we came with from our country of origin. It's sort of, it's sort of incomprehensible that these barriers and regulations exist when the U.S. is in the midst of a shortage of doctors, nurses, and other qualified healthcare workers. I know what, what's going on here. I know what's the problem. Now I realize that the licensing process is just a pure business. Somebody's business is going to be affected if I waive the exam. Are you holding out some hope that some lawmaker somewhere will champion this issue? I do. Because I believe, like, um, I, would, I would like to mention something. And I, I definitely, like, I, I believe that someone will, will make a change. There is something like a feedback on the article, a comment mentioning uh, the word underdeveloped country. And USA considered as a developed country, right? So I'm expecting more from the developed country, more, more than this. People who were able to give a temporary license, they should be able to give a permanent license. You would think and hope that that's true. Uh, Lubab, what's next for you? Are you still aiming at becoming a licensed physician in the U.S.? My birthday was on April 1st, and I was telling my family, especially my daughters, I said, listen, I'm trying to do something this year uh, to go over this issue that gives me a headache. Uh, I will start to study from April 1st, and I'll do my best to pass these uh, basics exam that doesn't create a true physician to prove to everybody that these exams are nothing just to give a license. I mean, the license, it doesn't make a doctor. The training, the practice hmm. make a doctor. So I started to study and I told them that you should help me. My big daughter, she started to work. My husband, he's working two jobs. I said, you should support me to pay for this exam. This is for the whole family. And both, uh, all of them, they agreed to help me. Even my little daughter, she's 11 years old. She started to save money. <laughs> and <laughs> put it in the piggy bank to support me. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. 
today, Lubab, and I hope that someday, someday soon, you're able to fulfill your American dream. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the First Opinion Podcast. It's produced by Teresa Gaffney. Our senior producer is Alyssa Ambrose, and our executive producer is Rick Burke. I love to hear from listeners. Let me know which First Opinion contributors you'd like to hear on the show or what topics the podcast should take on. You can do that by sending an email to first.opinion at statnews.com. And please put podcast in the subject line. And if you have a minute, please leave a review or rating on whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. That's it for now. Be well during this strange and uncertain time. 